0: Hey there, folks. I just want to offer a quick apology for the delay in getting this one up. We missed our usual um, upload date by three days because I was at the New York Comic Con, uh, recorded a really wonderful interview with several great people, which you'll hear momentarily, but had tech problems and there was a lot of buzzing and things. And so um, my son and I worked best we could on this. Uh, Chris wasn't able to be with us at that event. um, So... Bottom line, we've done absolutely the best we can with the sound on this. I'm going to ask you to forgive the buzz every now and then when um, either myself or one of the other uh, uh, interviewees speaks, and please just enjoy the information and the honesty and the creative thought that is coming forth in this interview with these remarkable people. So again, sorry for the delay and sorry for the slight technical problem, but I think you'll really enjoy this information. And I think you'll get a lot out of the episode itself. So here we go. New York Comic-Con on October 6th in New York City on Tell the Damn Story. This is Alex Simmons here for Tell the Damn Story, and I'm actually here this time at the New York Comic Con. This is uh, October 6th, is it? Something. Okay. Yeah, you guys can all say something. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> at the New York Comic Con, it's Sunday yeah. afternoon, and I'm with four remarkable people. I say that because I like them and because they're also remarkable people. So <laughs> I'm going to let them actually introduce themselves one by one because they know more about themselves than I do. So here we go.
1: I am Tamara Robertson, I'm a chemical and biomolecular engineer, but you may know me from Discovery Channel's Mythbusters and Mythbusters Jr. and Psycheeks.
2: I'm Dr. Travis Langley, at superheroologist on Twitter, uh, professor of psychology, best known as the author of the book Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, Alex here co-edited Black Panther Psychology, Hidden Kingdoms with me. And that noise before I spoke was my phone moving, not someone making bodily noises. (laughs)
3: Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full time geek. You can find me on Twitter at ShadowQuell.
4: Hi, everybody. My name is Dustin McGinnis. I'm a musician, filmmaker, and all around fanboy, and I'm just very happy to be around these amazing, wonderful people.
0: Wow, okay, so that was this show. Uh... <laughs> Uh, we're all together here today because, A, we, we know and like each other, which I think is really remarkable. And last time I saw you guys was in San Diego during the summer, right? Yes. And actually, I just met uh, three of you in San Diego just a couple of months ago, and they came to New York, and they're all staying at my house. Uh, no, not really. They're all here for the, for the con. Um, tell the Damn Story, and I, I told you a little bit off mic, but Tell the Damn Story is a lot about... The, the creative process, how we experience it—not just the, the mechanics of it and how you do what you do or someone does what they do—but also the, you know, what's it like to live it? What's it like to try and achieve a place in the creative world? What's it like to share that knowledge with older or younger people? And so, with this wide variety of, of human experiences here at the table, I'm so thrilled. Um, I'd like to take a moment to say a little bit about really what you've done. And, and take it from any perspective you like, from teaching it, from trying to become what you are. And just share a little bit of what you've done and what it's like for you initially. You know, so whoever wants to start first.
2: Okay, Travis.
1: Oh, I was <laughs> oh, just elected me to start.
2: Let's give it to the one who's on TV okay. first. I want to hear her before me.
1: <laughs> okay. um, so it's intriguing because. Uh, Being an engineer, my creative outlet has always been acting. Um, And so as a union actor, I'm normally given a script and life is easy. I create a character and I go. And there's not a lot of vulnerability, even though I go to vulnerable places. It's not me. I can, at the end of the day, take it off. Um, But with Mythbusters, it's very different. You know, it's actually me. It's my name. Um, There is no character to hide behind if the fan base doesn't like it. Um, And so creatively, I had to figure out, like, what that meant for me and where I could go um, that still gave me the parts of me that were just for me and for my family and the parts that I could openly share with the audience um, and still kind of still remain the person that I am. Um, There also is a big difference between building in your garage and having to build for like four cameras on you at any given time. Uh, Mostly because if you mess up everyone gets to see, so those bad welds you cannot hide. Um, But it also becomes this collaborative process where instead of just kind of getting the build done, You have to talk through it um, and that's actually helped me a lot because I can go out and I can now work with kids and teach them how to be makers and I can communicate what I'm doing with the tool a lot better. Um, as well as just being able to really learn the iterative process because you never get to do a weld once because every camera wants their close up. So you get better at the skill.
0: Let me, let me just ask you no, um, no, 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 it's okay. I'll, I'll project or I'll plug my question. Or you can repeat my question because okay. we're doing this big room, folks. So bear with me. Um, when did you decide in your life, growing up as a small human being into a taller human being? that you not managed. that tall I know I was going to say I don't think I gonna,
1: actually got the, be like
0: the that. T- I'm taller you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm very specific I am
1: tall you were just taller that's, that's right that's you're taller you're taller side where it counts yeah, yeah.
0: How did you or when did you decide that this is the direction I want to go? Because basically you said actress and blah, 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 but you're also a certified engineer. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? I can understand wanting to be an actress, but an engineer. Where did that come from?
1: Um, It's intriguing. I actually started out a history major uh, with a minor in religions and creative writing. And by the end of my freshman year, I had like 10 other minors because I had never really um, experienced being challenged or engaged in a classroom and I had an amazing brief calculus teacher Miss Andrea Wilmoth who's out of North Carolina who took me aside and was like your math and science scores are amazing have you ever thought about engineering and my literal response to her was girls don't do that um, mm-hmm. because the only engineer that I knew was Scotty from Star Trek and I loved him but he was male and I thought that that's what it was supposed to be if you were an engineer and so and have I have a Scottish
0: accent and have a
1: Scottish and drink a lot of scotch which yeah two of those things I do um <laughs> but so we went up to NC State I got to sit in an engineering class and for the first time ever I felt engaged and wanting to learn more um of what a teacher was saying so I kind of just never looked back Um, And then it was interesting because the acting actually came while I was in engineering school. Um, I started that just as a side thing because engineering classes for someone that was a creative writing minor are very rigid and there's not a lot of creativity. So it became kind of my outlet um, and then I started to try to get into science roles, and I kept being told I, was, I didn't look like a scientist, I didn't look like an engineer. Uh, a degree didn't help change their mind in the casting room, it actually made them put me out faster. Um, and so I later learned that science television is actually reality TV, not the Kardashians, but, um, you know, actual real science on TV. And so it's been uh, kind of a, an interesting journey because instead of an actor, I'm now a reality TV store. So that's weird for me.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. We're going to come back to you, you know, because you had a lot to say. Travis. Yes. Same question. Oh, first off, tell people what you do. Yeah, I was going to say, I
2: can't just leap into it because yeah. what I do is so dead gum weird. Yeah. Much I... like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's very appropriate. Yeah. yeah I the. Main thing I do, I write books on the psychology of fictional characters. I use the psychology of real human nature to analyze these characters and stories, such as Black Panther and Batman, who we mentioned earlier, and others, and I use those characters and stories to teach them things about real human nature. So, for example, trauma comes up in these books over and over, one hero after another, and the villains, and one of the tricks creatively, is figuring out how do we say something different about it. Sometimes it it is a matter of, okay, what facts did we leave out before, or or what's just a different way of saying and sharing, or an example, or an analogy that might help make the point in what we're talking about. And so the first book was Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night, the best book on Batman ever written by me. (laughs) And after it did so well, uh, other nerdy psychologist said you know if we do more of these we'd like to be involved Mm -hmm. such as Janina here who walks up to me and I think Josue after a panel that we had done and 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 she she was pleased to meet us and uh, individuals uh, such as them and, and Further along when I'd be working on a new book deal, I told them, but be ready. It's like I'm going to be pitching a Walking Dead book and a Star Wars book, and I suspect with the timing of upcoming movies, is that like we might not have a lot of time to write it. Mm. So you'll we'll have ideas in mind already, and it's." It is a creative process, very much so, you know, in, in terms of the examples and how we're saying it, making it interesting, and doing it in a way that we're, we're talking to the general audience. You know, I, we're, we're not writing scholarly articles. We're, we're not writing blogs. Mm-hmm. We're, we're writing something a little more along the lines of a magazine article, mm-hmm. and a lot of the writers I deal with, they have trouble with that. It's like some, I see their first draft, and I have to say, this is not a journal article. Some have to go the other way and say, we need to be a little more formal than that. And it's fun, and it's interesting, and it gives us this creative way of of teaching about human nature. The the worst-selling book in the bunch reaches more people than I've taught in person in my entire career. Wow. So through this stuff, we are teaching psychology to the world. We are teaching some things about real human nature while also having fun doing it. That's pretty amazing. One of
0: the thoughts that come to mind, yeah, folks, he did mention I got to work on one of these with him, but also as a writer, and I think everybody here, as an actress too, when you create characters, you're not just making up stuff. You're pulling on personal experiences, things you've seen, people you know, things that have actually happened to you, because you're trying to make that character believable, something that the audience can connect to and feel engaged with and care about. And so, ultimately, you know, understanding human nature—you know, whether you're a therapist or, or a psychologist or just a, you know, a, a plumber—you know, understanding human nature is useful in our day to day, no matter what. Um, you know, it's curious. I'm just going to throw this out here, and then we're going to—I have a question for you, but. What do you think of this? One of the most fascinating series that DC ever did, uh, to, fascinating to me because it was unusual when you look at the tropes of comics, is they did uh, a series, I think it was called Damage Control. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's about an organization that cleans up after the mess superheroes make when they have these major battles with supervillains. I'm often kind of curious, and, and actually, uh, Marvel did something with Spider's Web. Where you met the people who were somehow influenced by the superheroes, although they weren't connected to what the superhero did. You ever wonder about the human beings living among these super characters who experience these scenarios? And for anybody who's not read the comic, if you saw the movie The Avengers, all right, they devastate downtown Manhattan before they just devastated. You know, monsters, aliens. And- What's the traumatic effect on the general population?
2: Yes, those are the stories. They just keep moving back to baseline people from our world and generally not addressing the fact that they're living in a world where this stuff happens all the time, where they've been changed by these things. And you think, well, that's a little unrealistic. We want to be realistic. People live in places all over the world where their lives do get into states of upheaval. Mm -hmm. And, okay, we might not normally have alien invasions in our New York, there are people in the world who do have to worry about actual invasion. Mm-hmm. And when we look at these fictional characters, and there are stories that have played around with it, the Marvel's uh, comic, which they look at the history of different characters in Marvel, how people are reacting, how they see the first appearance of the android Human Torch, mm-hmm. of you know people witnessing the death of Gwen Stacy. That entire story was from the perspective of the average person and how they feel about that world that they're in. Writers I know, some writers of fiction don't study psychology at all, Mm -hmm. but the the better ones have a good, intuitive sense of people. Mm -hmm. And they've studied people, even if they've Mm -hmm. never studied psychology. Then there are those who do. Uh, Two, three years ago, at an after party at Comic-Con, I met this writer for The Flash, and someone told him the kind of books I do. And he said, oh yeah, I have all your books. And at first I thought he was joking, but then we kept talking, and I realized, Oh, he's serious. He does have all these books. And his wife is, oh, yes. All the psychology and philosophy books on fictional characters, he eats those up.
0: Yeah. So, you know, there's there's an interest. And again, it is, it's to me, it's required that you have a baseline understanding and you be curious about it. But it's it's I, I enjoyed working on your book, and you've got another one coming up. Actually, you got one that's out now called Joker. The Joker
2: Psychology, Evil Clowns and the Women Who Love Them. Our first one where the whole thing is about looking at evil. There you go. And there. with... Harley Quinn also being there, we do get to look at some aspects of the real impact of people who are affected by having psychopaths and sadists in their lives, Mm. which is not a fun topic when you use real life examples. We can talk about the same information with just a step aside, Mm -hmm. go through this filter of fiction, and we can talk about these same things, and people stay with us. we got a chapter on abusive relationships in there, Uh, bringing information from real people and that's not a fun topic but it gives us a way to talk about these things Like when I teach forensic psychology I'll talk about the psychology of crime and some of it's brutal and some of it the topic is so unpleasant that the people hearing me kind of miss my point but they'll stay with me on the same information through a fictional example if I'm talking about real kids who saw their parents killed that's not fun they they I'm talking about the same information say well we know from these kids this might have affected Bruce Wayne this way mm-hmm. they'll still hear what I'm saying about the real kids but the focus but is Bruce on the fictional Wayne, character yeah. you, you and put a and they there. stay with yeah. me yeah yeah
0: um, Jenna right Janina. Janina okay so I did that wrong I'm sorry you about that part? yeah no I'll leave it in there because yeah. I'm human okay, so that's sometimes share <laughs> <true. laughs> <laughs> sure. yep. it's your turn
3: Um, So I specialize in incorporating popular culture into the clinical world where I utilize characters from popular culture to help survivors of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So it started when I was working with active duty service members, uh, primarily Marines who had just returned from the war and didn't have the words because there are no words in any dictionary to explain the kind of horrors and traumas that people go through in the war zone, but they would use examples from popular culture from The Walking Dead or from Batman to talk about their experiences. And so now I provide worldwide trainings to clinicians to help them utilize pop culture even if they don't have a background in pop culture. Um, in helping uh, different kinds of trauma survivors. So I work with Doctors Without Borders. Um, I work with individuals who work with um, survivors of different kinds of combat zones um, to help them utilize pop culture as a strength-based mechanism to help create post-traumatic growth, uh, which is a way of finding meaning through someone's traumatic experience. And I'm now shifting to also writing fiction, which uses um, real-world psychology to help readers understand their own psychological um, experiences through the lens of fiction.
0: She is so so demure and petite and everything, and then there's this river, this tidal wave of, of, of things that just came out of you. Post-traumatic growth... Would you elaborate on that term? I mean, I think I know what that means, but I really want to hear it from you. Of
3: course. Yes, absolutely. So most people have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is uh, a series of different symptoms that people might experience after a traumatic incident. But the truth is, only about 10 to 20% of people experience post-traumatic stress disorder after experiencing trauma. Most people naturally recover over time, and many people actually find some kind of meaningful... um, experiences in their trauma so for example after uh, after losing somebody like a family member or a friend that individual might actually um, have a better understanding of the kind of life they want to lead they might become closer to their friends and family members they might want to reduce their to-do list and focus on things that are meaningful to them this is post-traumatic growth it's finding meaning in the traumatic experience and changing one's life direction to be more in line with their core values
2: or okay. <clears throat> discovering new values. Iron Man is an excellent example of someone who's gone through a severe trauma and several <laughs> and uh, but the, but one in particular leads to his growth to him becoming someone else, to him becoming this hero setting aside some of the things reevaluating his life and it, it many heroic stories show examples of post-traumatic growth. Some people who go through that, they've had full PTSD. Some have certain symptoms, especially the re-experiencing it, not letting it go, mm-hmm. hanging on to it even more than other people. Batman sure isn't going to get over it. He, he relives uh, his parents' death. He lives more. from it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. He relive, he relives it in his memory more frequently than majority of people who've gone through such things do. And real-life examples, Candace Leitner, whose daughter got killed by a drunk driver. She she was so appalled by the light sentence the driver got that she made her version of the Batman Vow and founded what was originally called Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. John Walsh, whose son Adam was brutally murdered, became an advocate for missing children, the host of America's Most Wanted involved in information leading the rest of more than 300 people over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elie Wiesel, for 10 years, wouldn't talk about what happened to him and his family in the Holocaust and goes on to win the Nobel Prize for the efforts he's making in educating the world. These are, are very real human beings who have gone through horrible things, ranging in the degree of what you talk about. Of course, trauma is also subjective. Mm. You know, what's more traumatic to one person might not be to somebody else. It's their personal experience and what it does for them, and for some it gives them this message internally and, and guides them, leads them to becoming more and growing as human beings. Let, let me, let me try... I'm not going to leave you out of this. I'm going to pull you in this in
0: moment. Yeah. You should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as much, let me do that first, because... I, what's your first name again? Dustin. Dustin. Dustin is, is sitting here patiently listening to this... Pontification here, and I know you, you're bursting with your own <laughs> POV on this. So uh, why don't you why don't you go for it?
4: Well, the, the Hang on a second.
0: There's somebody trying to call me, and I want to make sure that that's not going to interrupt. Hold on. So just stay stay there, Dustin. Don't go anywhere. And I can always edit this out if it's still. Yeah, that didn't ruin it. Okay. <laughs>
4: Well, I mean, the reality is, I don't know how I can contribute to this wonderful group of people, and that's—I think that's part of the creative process too—is the reality that you have these vulnerabilities and you have these like moments where you have this fraud syndrome going on, um, and and I think that's what Janine and I try to do a lot of in our work. We we have there are a couple, together. by the way. Just yeah. in, I didn't mention we, that. we have a couple podcasts together. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I'm a musician, um, and we we try to incorporate all these things that we love these nerd cultures, this pop culture and you know um, Do you find that you try
0: to express what you deal with in life through your music or a through lot the of, podcast? or yeah. through?
4: I mean a, a lot of times through my music, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the podcast go, we're, we're just trying to eliminate the stigma that's you know associated with mental health. Ah, um, okay. and that's that's fun. So I mean, I guess in in the broad sense of things, I'm just a sidekick to these wonderful people. It's <laughs> cute
0: in the little green shirt. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but ultimately as far as creativity goes, it's, you know, for me anyway, it's it's uh, you know, making that connection to your vulnerabilities,
0: which which I think is is one of the things that makes certain characters exciting to me is them not being omnipotent and, and indestructible and so powerful that they can devastate, you know, universes. It's, it's the, and and that, that goes to heroes. Um, I think I'm, the, yeah, I'm definitely the oldest person here at the table, uh, he said proudly. And <laughs> the reality for me is when I was growing up through the 50s, 60s, 70s, a hero was someone who did something that put their life on the line, but they did it unselfishly for the betterment of others you know a community or an individual it didn't matter uh... and i, and I think a real real-world example is there was a, a gentleman who, who was on a subway platform here in new york with his two younger daughters when a young man who was you know, probably in his twenties or so but had um, uh, uh... mental and emotional challenges fell onto the tracks as, an in, as a train was coming into the station and this father immediately made sure his girls were pushed back to the wall as he leaped down and pushed this young man down into this little well in between the tracks and the train literally went over both of them and they both lived they both lived but you know people reactions were well some folks pulled out their cell phones that's a whole nother thing but the other one was, how could you leave your daughters? How could you do this? What was that wasn't even your, your, you don't even know that person. Or because the gentleman who did this was black and the person who fell up was white. You know, why did you even bother trying to sacrifice yourself? For th-? And the whole thing was, he did exactly what he felt he had to do at that moment. And he considered his daughters first, and then he went for this other life. Now, to me, that's, that's heroic, you know. Definitely. And since and I mentioned my period of growing up because my heroes were very clear. As we presented heroes to the world, they were very clear. You do the right thing for the right reasons and you fight against evil. As the years progressed, we became more fascinated with anti-heroes and some of them were so anti that they did the heroic thing only because it benefited them, but yet it still seemed to be a, a thing to celebrate. And I'm just wondering, what are your feelings about I mean, You, Travis, for instance, have done... A number of psychology books about these various heroes and the Joker being, you know, a villain, but nevertheless, do you feel that you found any common denominators, or were there any things that resonated as you worked on these different books, and across the two different major comic book company universes, were there any similarities, or did you find the differences so spectacular that that was maybe striking?
2: No, I find repeatedly as we go through these. The, these these underlying core, these underlying core? Yes, these underlying cores. Yeah, right. It's yeah, cores,
0: C O R E S, not the stuff in the metal cans. Yes, okay. okay.
2: <laughs> as, you know, certain things that keep happening, as we keep talking about heroism over and over, with one example after another, what runs through the ones we're really talking about, really thinking of as heroes By the way, heroes. that's him
0: banging on the table if
2: your hair is thumping. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I have to gesticulate. Yes. We find over and over, we keep talking about individuals who are doing the right thing in the worst of circumstances, regardless of risk to themselves, or maybe with regard in doing it anyway, mm. the things we think of as, as heroes, there is a, a risk, the person cares about that risk, and it, it is at a cost, mm. it is at a risk. Len Wein, his view was that the hero is the one who is doing the right thing at the worst of times, in the worst of circumstances. And something just happened? It's still going. Okay, the phone's still going. And no matter who we're talking about, we we look at these very human beings. Very human beings. Yes, I do mean it that way. Mm -hmm. These beings are very human. They are real people. The ones who are... Indifferent to the rest of themselves. We don't think of that as being heroic. Mm. The ones who are doing it for the glory, we sure don't think of that as being heroic. Mm. It is the ones who don't care if you know who they are. That's one of the things that makes the superhero fiction so fascinating. These individuals, at least originally, they're all wearing masks. They are doing it at great cost to their personal lives. Mm -hmm. They are putting these fronts. They are sacrificing relationships. You know, Clark is pining for Lois. He knows he could get her. Yeah. But Peter Parker, he's, his life is suffering. His, his life is defined by suffering even before he becomes Spider-Man. Yeah. And we want to see that they've suffered in order to perceive it as heroic. Mm. If they didn't suffer, it's less heroic as, as it's perceived. And no matter who we're talking about on the ones we really call heroes... You, you see this this person is trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm. Now, Batman, yes, he is driven by his anger. He wants to take it out. He wants to have every thug he slugs be a substitute for the guy who kills his parents that's true, but what's his first motivation, as usually written, is to keep other people from going through what he went through. If there's a choice between stopping that criminal and saving that person, you know which one he's going to do. Mm-hmm. He's going to save that person. The Punisher, you're not so sure. <laughs> and so the, the Punisher is genuinely less heroic than Batman.
0: Yeah. The science of superheroes. Mm-hmm. Is kind of intriguing, and as an, as as a performer and as an engineer, you know, there's, there's almost a little Tony Stark in you, <laughs> because he was a showman. He was like P. T. Barnum in, a, in an Iron Man suit. You know, that's really it. He he enjoyed or he 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 shined in the light. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that you have a particular? fascination for any of, the, of the, the superheroes that are out the hero and when I use the word heroes I mean male or female I'm, I'm not distinguishing gender here do you find that any one of them stands out a little bit more to you or is more engaging to you or challenging or maybe even the typical question when you'd like to portray one day you know or something like that
1: Well, it's, it's interesting to me because growing up um, I always gravitated towards the X-Men because as the only redhead and my very small deep southern town Um, I was very akin to being a mutant and um, I understood being different and being an outsider and so my favorite at the time was storm because I grew up where hurricanes were very prevalent and I thought oh if I had her powers maybe I could push these away. Um, Since then as I've kind of grown up as as a comic book lover, and since my fans have actually been introducing me to the comics that they love and characters that they love, um, I've actually really gravitated towards Frank Miller's Carrie Kelly. Um, she's one that really just resonates in my soul with me. Like I feel like we are we are one, and so cosplaying her was very empowering for me. Um, Because I understood, uh, you know, being the latchkey kid whose parents don't really care if you come home or if you're missing and the wanting to make a difference and wanting to be more and wanting to get beyond where you're at to help people and to make it so that no one ever feels the way that you feel. Um, And so I think she's definitely where I'm cemented these days. Um, But there's so many different things in each superhero. and, And for me, superhero science became... a a really good kind of locomotive to to get kids inspired by science because if you're like hey here's albert einstein they look at you like okay he's got weird hair why do i care but if you're like hey here's the hulk and the hulk is dr bruce banner dr bruce banner has all of these phds suddenly you're like the hulk is cool right and they're like yeah and they're like science is cool right yeah and so it becomes this story of not just science is cool but Comics are naturally inclusive and diverse. Um, Comics can be in the hands of anyone. Free comic book days Mm -hmm. exist so that kids everywhere can experience them so you can go the free all the way up to the very expensive um, exclusive editions. Um, And it also becomes something that teaches kids that any one person can make a difference. And that it doesn't matter where you came from, it matters what you do to try to help the world. And I think that that's powerful.
0: No no argument. There are two things. One, I want to ask because you did something that Chris. I'm sorry you're not here, Chris. It's a lot of fun. Um, Chris, his favorite heroes in comics were either Hawkeye or Falcon. And Chris Ryan is a, a nice Irish boy from from the Bronx. And it never made a difference to him about Sam Wilson being black. And you just mentioned Storm. And I'm just curious, did did it register to you in any way shape or form that she's different different you know you're talking red as opposed to black i mean did any of that factor or was it just storm i get it
1: i just loved storm i loved her outfit i loved her hair i loved that
0: whichever version of whichever it. version <laughs> yeah, right, you would yeah. get
1: like i I just thought that she was someone that was wasn't afraid of anything. She was this force to be reckoned with, and as literally a, very, a force of nature. Literally, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And as a very tiny little girl in the south, that was always necessary. Like, I wanted to, to be like her. I wanted to be fearless and to, to be larger than life. To be able to help people no matter what, because mm-hmm. you know, as a small person. I run in, but, you know, it is at my detriment. She could run in and still be safe. So it never, I never saw anything other than her, her power and her grace.
0: And the other thing you mentioned was you are talking about children. Um, aside from all the other benefits that you mentioned, the other thing that, because I, I do a, a, a number of things, as you know. But one of them is um, I created several years ago a workshop that I do with kids in numerous places called Tech Heroes. And the, the basis of it is I take comic book characters that they're familiar with, like Iron Man or whatever, and I say, what is the science fact that the fiction is based on? And I show them how we do that, how we create that. The, the moment I do that, I then turn them loose to create their own characters based on science fact and then take it into fiction. And two things are accomplished. Kids, first off, get a sense of what I learned in school. Jeez, wait a minute, I can use this in my fantasy world. And they they take off. They go. The other thing is watching parents go, I didn't know you knew that. You know, and watching the kids go, Yeah mom, because if you do this, this and this and then the parents get into drawing with them and it becomes this whole experience. So it's an empowering it's an empowering experience for the kids. Just the way seeing Storm and you being inspired or wanting to be like that and helping people, kids begin to realize that what's going on up here. There's something of value in my head, and that's a cool thing. And then not deciding or not caring that a particular character's gender or race or, or clothing style you know, makes them less than anything. I can still connect with that. That's another way of empowering. You know, we may not live to see it, but there may be another generation where they go, color, what, what's the problem? You know, Please, sometime before I die, that would be nice. Uh, you, you deal with, um, some heavy stuff, you deal with people recovering from horror, and we're not talking Boris Karloff and Peter Lorre anymore now, we're talking about the things that I've never seen in my life, except maybe, in a minute degree, in movies, right? And even then, some part of my brain is going, it's fake. Even if I see newsreel footage, I'm still removed from it. What is it like for you, well, I guess I should ask, and if it's too personal, tell me. Have you experienced
3: war? So, um, indirectly, um, I grew up in Ukraine, and although I did not live through a war, the kind of climate that Ukraine um, had after the fall of the Soviet Union is that there was a lot of violence. My family and I were targeted, and we um, had to secretly file for refugee status. Um, and uh, leave the country um, and we had to be very secretive about it otherwise we could be killed. Mm. Um, so although I did not ever experience uh, war directly, uh, it's I, I understand violence, I understand what it's like to witness violence or to fear violence um, and I understand what it's like to, to live in fear.
0: Mm. So with that experience in your life, as a personal experience, What is it like for you to encounter people who've been in it, who've dealt with the loss of life or have taken life, nearly lost their own, been damaged, you know, permanently? What is it like for you to walk into that?
3: There's this thing that happens in our heart when we encounter somebody else who is suffering, and. This word doesn't fully describe how it feels, but that word is compassion. Mm. And it is one of the most powerful emotions that I think our heart can feel. It allows our body to experience this really powerful hormone called oxytocin, which which gives us strength and love and, uh, and just this empowerment to show up for that person, to want to metaphorically embrace them in our support. And so for me, it is a very humbling and also a very empowering experience to, to have this individual trust me enough to tell me their story and to trust me enough with their care. And so it's, it's, an, individu- it's an experience that I'm very honored to be a part of and it's an experience that then allows me to create a partnership with that individual as we together walk on that path of healing where i become their sidekick as they basically take on their hero's journey
0: wow i as you can tell folks it's getting a little bit loud in here i'm only hoping that the sound quality of this is <laughs> is, is great or good even because it's been spectacular but i i think i, I don't want to press my luck too much more so I want to give one sort of general question, and you can each take turn answering it, and then I've got to get you on like a Skype or something sometime, because this is fantastic. I love this. This is great. What is it like to take all of these personal experiences, and, and even the educational ones that you, you dealt with? your training in, in technology, your training in therapy, and so you know your training and also a therapy. What is it like And as a musician You know, I'm not knocking anything, because the creative process is a part of us all. What is it like to take the personal experiences and the educational uh, tutoring and all of that and channel it through you creatively? How does it impact on you, empower you, does it at all? And if you share it with others in a teaching capacity, how does that feel? Just any way you want to comment, and why don't we start over there.
1: Um. So it's interesting. As as an actor, you have to learn to be extremely vulnerable, but you're naturally in an industry that's constantly just saying no. You're not good enough. You're not the one. Um, hold you thought.
0: I'm sorry. I I realize where you're going, and I don't want to. I want to make sure I'm not losing any of this. Yep, it's still going. Okay. Sorry.
1: No worries. Um, should I repeat that? Yes. Yeah. So as an actor, you have to be able to be completely vulnerable. Like on a screen, that's the most important thing, but you're, you're existing in an industry that's constantly telling you you're not good enough, you're not the one we want. Um, and so you have to learn to also have a tough skin, um, but the ability to shed it whenever you need to, to be um, vulnerable and open. Um, and what I found, again, transitioning from kind of the storytelling character role to being myself, was that vulnerability actually becomes part of what you're able to give an audience um there's a lot of my history that for a long time i didn't want to share because i grew up with nothing and i had to fight every step of the way and i had to make money so that my family could have things and It's something that when you're your own safety net, you don't always want to tell people that because then they look at you differently. Um, But I've learned that through sharing that story, through being vulnerable, I've given strength to the kids that I talk to every day. And and I tell them, you know, where your story begins doesn't define where it ends, you do. And as long as you're willing to work hard, you can accomplish anything. Um, And so that vulnerability, being able to really let that out, even though it's scary you do get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm ready to do this Um, and there's also though and and it's a cautionary thing that I would say to anyone that's an artist that tapping into those past uh, experiences to bring forth a character, make sure you're talking with someone that you have care in place because the first time I went to the darkest corners of my life experiences to build a character it broke me and it took me finding someone and talking with someone and getting that help to be able to bring me back, and it took me away from my art for a long time. Um, So, yes, you have to be able to go to those vulnerable places, but take care of yourself. That self-care is the only thing that's going to make it so you can continue to share those stories. Absolutely.
0: Hang on before you do it, Travis. I just want to make sure we... Oh, yeah, we got enough battery now.
2: When you're writing about the psychology of real human nature, even with the fictional examples, you still have to think about your own human nature. You have to think of people you know. And how far do you go in referring to your own personal examples? The majority of chapters in these books do not refer to personal things, but sometimes you have to, especially...
3: uh,
2: Especially when somebody's interviewing me and they want to hear my own story. Like right now, here you are, grilling us. <laughs> um, there's a documentary. Can i Leg- remove
0: the, the electrodes. Yeah,
2: there's <laughs> this is documentary, Legends of the Night, that Brett Culp made about the power of stories to inspire people, and that one specifically is Batman stories throughout. You have people such as Jill Pintozi with Muscular Dystrophy, who Batman inspired her. You know, other individuals in other ways. And me, there I am with my students for this five-minute segment about how was using Batman to teach students some psychology.
0: Exactly, that's
2: what I often say. Yeah. Uh, and one of the students, Sean, he's interviewed during there and talking about how the class became a point of self-reflection for him and assessing things in his own life. But during that segment, I had a reason to refer to how I had been a lonely kid. You know, wondering, who's buying these other comic books at this place when well, I seem to be the only one reading them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are times when you're talking about these things. There was one convention panel. Uh, It was one of uh, Janina's cult TV panels in which I referred to this personal thing. And you're gambling. You're taking a risk on how people react. Sometimes people react with sympathy or, oh, interesting. And you're also gambling that they won't react well. There was this one very personal thing I said in a panel that I'd never said before and the audience didn't react. It's like, I'm never saying that one again. Wow. So it is a risk.
3: There's so many people that I'm encountering that have been shamed and stigmatized for feeling a certain way or being a certain way you know having certain emotional experiences maybe caring too much about people they've never met or so they're told that they're too sensitive or too emotional and what i've discovered is that the very thing that we often shame ourselves for the very thing that we often reject ourselves about is actually the most special part about ourselves Mm. and that is in a lot of ways our hidden superpower. And so I find that embracing it and owning it and blogging about it and posting about it actually creates an X-Men-like community of people who have similar superpowers but might not realize it. And to anyone listening out there, I want you to remember this. The very thing that you might've been ashamed to share with anybody else is actually the most precious thing about you and it is the very thing that makes you most lovable.
4: I gotta be honest, this all touched me really deeply and it was kind of the same thing that Tamara was saying is you know tapping into those past you know experiences that you know allow you to have a creative outlook you know sometimes hit you a little hard and I you know I I started thinking back to you know when I started really focusing on my music it was almost to create a distraction because I happened to witness my brother get hit by a car and it was it was a very challenging time for me because I was having a lot of nightmares and it was I was suffering from PTSD for a long time and I actually used this, you know, outlet, this creativity in my music to kind of, you know, heal me and distract me. And it kind of created who I am today. You know, this is why I want to give back. This is why I want to help people who are struggling with PTSD and things like that. I want, you know, to allow them that, you know, that opportunity to have a little bit of strength to realize that it's really not.
0: It's not all over. It's not all over. Yeah. No, I hear you. Wow, you guys are great. You guys are absolutely great. Uh, I um, There's a, uh, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm a mushy guy, you know, I'm, I'm mushy and I'm I'm a romantic and all this good stuff and I believe in heroes and I believe I believe all of us need role models that tell us we've got a chance, that we're okay, that we're accepted, that we fit in, that we can make a difference. I think whatever your age is, but I think in particular children need it, because they've got their whole lives ahead of them. And I've worked with a lot of kids. I do a lot of work with kids. I've worked with a lot of kids who, at age 11, have already given up on their future. They don't think anything of any values out there. And if they see, if they see, uh, we're recording, so just don't bang. Okay, thank you. Uh, If they see that a comic book or a graphic novel, or they meet their hero from, you know, the cosplay or even from the films, who gives them that feeling that, yeah, you matter, you're a decent person, I like you, it's okay, then they they, they try harder. And, and I'll give two quick examples, again, to back this up, because everything that you guys have said is so real. Uh, I've been involved in a number of projects with kids and, and, and comic arts, and there's a school in New Jersey that I've gone to for eight years every year, um, literally for eight weeks, and I do a comic strip a workshop with them, and they create from their own imagination their own comic strip story. Right. So it started eight years ago, and about three years into it, the kids who are now in the seventh grade or the eighth grade started coming back to us when we would come and say, can we, can we come visit the class and talk to the kids or help the other kids? And I said, "Really, okay, f- you know fine." My, my, my associate and I said, "Yeah, actually fine." And some of these kids would come into the class and they'd sit with the fifth graders, and they would tell we'd hear them sing, untutored by us. I didn't know I could do anything until I did this, and you can do this too. I didn't know I, 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 I could think up anything until I my imagination. and just using their own words, peer support, you know, based on comics, creating little drawings and coloring them in, saying little words, that one single act told them, maybe what's going on in my head has some value. And now they themselves have turned around to go help somebody else out. So everything that you said is absolutely true to the nth degree. And sometimes sharing or exposing those vulnerable moments, is the thing that impacts on another person the most and helps them through whatever it is. So, A, thank you for all putting that yeah, out there.
2: give one example on that? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, I, I hear from a lot of different people about how the, the things that I do have, been, have inspired them or been meaningful in a lot of different ways. It's almost like they changed their major, they went into psychology, or they did other things in their lives. There was this message I got one time from this woman who while she was dealing with her dying father, she read the Star Wars book and there was just this one thing I said in the afterward about how the great lesson of Star Wars may be this, that there is never only one hope. She said that was exactly what she needed to hear at that particular moment in her life.
0: Don, Don, yeah, yeah, goosebumps, goosebumps. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Don McGregor wrote Black Panther,
0: Panther's Rage in particular, You know, and that was a, a year-long storyline that he developed and wrote, which the movie was based on. I'm going to throw that in there. He, several years later, he got a fan letter from a man who'd been in prison in South Africa for those years, and he said one of the things that got him through that harrowing experience was whenever he could get his hands on a copy of that storyline, and he would read those books you're writing. You're telling stories, you know, the best you can. You're talking from your experience and whatever. You have no idea who your words are reaching. You have no idea where they are in their lives at that moment. And then to find out later, oh my God, it's amazing. So art has its place in our lives. So anybody who's cutting programs to art... You know, think about it. Uh, we got to get together again sometime, guys. Thank you so much. This has just been so great. And I, 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 I have to say this, actually. I love you all. Thank you so much. Okay, folks, this is the end of this episode. I'm going to go wipe my eyes now. Um, and I'm being, I'm clowning with that remark. But genuine people are the type of people you should spend some time with. So go out there and do that. And go tell the damn story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really, just beautiful, beautiful stuff. I got more than I I hoped for.